wherever you all are, I have good news. Hi, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Cynthia Hayes. You're listening to Gimme Good News Radio, an audio service of Gimme Good News Daily hosted on WordPress. From Lansdale, trees on order, seeking feedback for skate park signs. With fall now here and winter fast approaching, borough officials are already planning what Lansdale Skate Park could look like in 2021. Council members heard an update Wednesday night on several more finishing touches in the works and one that may not be ready until next year. Quote, if you've been by the skate park lately, we just finished installing some bluestone pavers in different areas just off the skate park said Parks and Recreation Director Carl Lukens. Quote, there are areas that were trampled pretty heavily, entrance points to the skate park. The blue stone we were able to relocate from Memorial Park in an area that wasn't being used at all. It was just steps to nowhere, he said. Several years of public talks, debate, and bid attempts throughout the 2010s finally resulted in the borough's skate park opening in late July adjacent to the 4th Street Park. In mid-August, council unanimously named it after late Parks and Recreation Director Carl Salduti and in September authorized a needed repair to fix a drainage problem below the park's main skate bowl. On October 7th, Lukens gave Council's Parks and Recreation Committee an update on changes over the past month, including the addition of those pavers meant to cover muddy areas around park edges and provide extra space for social distancing. Quote, that allows for queuing while people are waiting to skate. They're not going to just stand on the dirt and dust. It'll help the skate park itself, he said. The users have actually brought a broom over to try to keep some of the dirt out of there. Hopefully they'll use those paver areas and help some grass grow around it and it'll help the entire look of the park, he said. Early versions of the skate park design included a naturalized buffer surrounding it with trees, but that buffer was removed during cost-cutting revisions. And the park is currently largely surrounded by muddy grass covered in straw. Lukens told the committee October 5th that he and Borough Code staff had already begun talks on how to purchase trees to be planted in those areas, possibly using developer funds contributed when trees are removed from projects elsewhere in the borough. Quote, I'd certainly look to use that as much as possible. We have several open space areas that could be reforested a little as well, he said. Early estimates are that planting trees around the skate park could cost roughly six to $7,000 and would likely include a mix of types. Quote, we're looking at approximately 21 evergreens, probably around 16 shade trees, and another six or seven flowering trees, depending on how the prices come in. If they come in smaller, we'll get more. We have plenty of room where we can add more, Lucan said. Parks Department staff have also transplanted some tall grass from near the front entrance to the 4th Street Pool closer to the skate park to provide extra buffering between the skate area and the Williamson Court townhouses just to the west. In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the Voter Project and Power the Polls launched massive poll worker recruitment effort in Pennsylvania to address critical election day shortage. With only two months until Election Day increase, participation is critical. 
There is just over one month until Election Day. The Voter Project and Power the Polls are teaming up for a massive push to recruit poll workers across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Power the Polls PA is a statewide recruitment campaign to address the dire need for thousands of new poll workers before Election Day on Tuesday, November 3rd, in order to ensure a safe and fair election for all voters. Counties across Pennsylvania are in the midst of a massive poll worker shortage, and it is critical that an estimated 15,000 workers are recruited before the election day. The shortage has the potential to lead to voter disenfranchisement, such as long lines and other obstacles to the voting process. The campaign began September 1st, signing people up to become poll workers, which is a paid position. So far, the campaign has included participation from popular local social media influencers, a virtual concert, work by local artists, campus outreach, and several teletown halls featuring elected officials, including Mayor Kennedy from Philadelphia, Representative Summer Lee from Allegheny, Commissioner Omar Sabir from Philadelphia and other elected officials. Quote, maintaining safe in-person voting is critical for communities throughout Pennsylvania, says Senior Advisor Susan Kubreski. Quote, everyone should be able to vote in a safe and convenient way, whether in person or by mail, and we need to recruit thousands of poll workers to fight voter intimidation and assist voters, especially those who have disabilities or need language assistance at the polls. An overwhelming percentage of traditional Election Day poll workers are over the age of 60. Many of these poll workers are understandably hesitant to return to polling stations this Election Day due to the ongoing pandemic. Without younger and more diverse poll workers, our Pennsylvania voters have the potential to have similar long lines, long waits, and disenfranchisement seen in state primaries such as Georgia and Kentucky. Quote, I believe in this work, says Precious Samuel, 33, of West Philadelphia, who is director of outreach for the Voter Project's Power the Polls PA campaign, is working to get new poll workers signed up across Pennsylvania, and in particular, making sure there is a new wave of people signing up. Quote, key is the need for young, healthy, and diverse poll workers, end quote. For the general election, more poll workers are needed to ensure a smooth voting process for all. That's why Samuel and others are working on a statewide initiative to bring in thousands of more poll workers. Tess Fila is a wedding vendor based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She creates beautiful signage for weddings and other events in calligraphy. Because of the pandemic, she says business is off significantly and she now has some time to devote to the causes she believes in. Quote, it's a great opportunity to get involved and it's nonpartisan, Feeler says. Everyone can care about voting regardless of their political party. Bethany Hallam, an Allegheny County Council person at large and member of the Board of Election, spoke of the recent primary election, the decision to consolidate multiple polling places, and highlighted the value of newly recruited poll workers. Quote, it was a disaster. In Allegheny County, there were 130 municipalities, including the city of Pittsburgh, 
and some polling places draw thousands of voters. We've seen lines that lasted for up to a couple of hours, and in order to ensure a more structured and seamless election day, we need to be way more prepared in the general election than we were in the primary, end quote. Jessica O'Keefe is a research associate for a publishing firm and freelance writer living in the area surrounding Pittsburgh who was laid off from her job due to the economic unrest spurred by COVID-19. Upon seeing messaging and social media posts about the voter project, Power the Polls PA, and other poll worker recruitment efforts, she signed up to join the cause. Quote, I'm young, I'm able, it's time for my generation to involve themselves in a meaningful way in politics, she said. Since I got laid off, I do have the time. I have some reservations regarding the pandemic, but I feel fortunate living where I live. My neighbors take the pandemic very seriously. I'm told a PPE will be provided, and that tempered my concern. As of one month ago, the state of Pennsylvania was still short 3,000 necessary poll workers. Involved persons such as Bethany and Jessica ask that those considering signing up to work as poll workers do so soon. Citizens are encouraged to spread the message to interested and able friends, family, and peers, as there is never not a need for poll workers. All poll workers throughout the state will receive personal protection equipment on Election Day, provided by Power the Polls partners. Those interested should go to thevoterproject.com to learn more and sign up to become a poll worker. Power the Polls PA is a collaboration among nonprofit organizations, businesses, and civic organizations such as Civic Alliance, Comedy Central, Fair Elections Center, MTV, Pizza for the Polls, and We Can Vote. Some facts about poll workers. Poll workers get paid for their time. Poll workers generally work the entire day from 7 a.m. to when the polls close at 8 p.m. Counties throughout the Commonwealth train poll workers on election day duties. Being a poll worker is an additional way to participate in the election process. A nationwide goal is set to recruit 250,000 Americans who are interested in signing up to be election day workers or volunteers to keep all polling sites safe, readily open, and available for delay-free in-person voting. Philly nonprofit links people in need with the benefits they don't even know they deserve. Unable to work because she's hobbled by lupus and arthritis, Robin Gentry suffered silently in South Philadelphia, living on a Social Security disability check that never seemed to stretch 31 days. Gentry 59 is separated and lives with two of her five adult children. Gentrification in her up-and-coming neighborhood is causing the taxes on the house she and her husband bought years ago to skyrocket. Meanwhile, COVID-19 has affected her children's ability to stay employed. It was a struggle, she said. Then came what she called a miracle in the mail. A letter from out of the blue informed Gentry, who worked on a cleanup crew at Lincoln Financial Field before illness struck, that she might be eligible for public benefits. A nonprofit known as Benefits Data Trust offered to analyze 19 federal and state programs to discover money and other forms of aid to which Gentry was legitimately entitled. Gentry accepted BDT's help and now she receives Medicaid and $140 a month in food stamps. Quote, life got very much easier, she said. The letter was a wonderful thing, exciting. I didn't know how to balance food and bills. 
These people reached out to others who needed help desperately and didn't know where to turn. You know those credit card pitches that fill your mailbox? Imagine instead receiving a letter that rather than trying to separate you from your money, tells you how to access food, health care, and lower cost prescriptions in times of trouble. That's the basic principle behind BDT, an organization headquartered in Center City that serves Pennsylvania, New York City, Maryland, Colorado, and North and South Carolina. In Philadelphia, BDT has worked since 2008 with 10 community organizations in a network collectively known as Benefili. Last year alone, Philadelphians left an estimated $450 million in benefits unclaimed, said Trooper Sanders, CEO of BDT. Nationwide, Americans were owed $60 billion they never asked for. In 2019, BDT helped 6,500 Philadelphia households secure an average of $4,000 each in benefits, equaling $26 million, organization data show. Strategies used to target and identify people eligible for credit cards are being employed by BDT to pinpoint those entitled to public benefits. Quote, it's one of the best tools we have in the city to help people in poverty, said City Council Member Alan Dome. Philadelphia contributes $1.3 million to BDT, which gets funds from various sources to bolster its $16.2 million annual budget, including the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Quote, the city should be doubling and tripling that investment, said City Council Member Maria Quinones Sanchez. It's helped folks who've been poor, and now it helps the new poor affected by COVID-19 who don't know how to access help. Many people are simply unaware that they are eligible for benefits or they believe that by asking for help, they're taking away benefits from those more deserving, BDT officials say. Quite a few have lost jobs because of the pandemic and are experiencing difficulty navigating public benefit bureaucracies for the first time. By scouring government data of people eligible for or enrolled in at least one public benefit, BDT is able to identify thousands of individuals who are very likely eligible for additional benefits such as food stamps, now called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. BDT then reaches out to them via mail or text and helps them fill out the forms necessary to access help. In Gentry's case, the state data showed that her family had once tried to get SNAP benefits but was denied because officials determined that one of her sons made $1 more than the income cutoff for aid. He has since lost his job clearing the way for aid to Gentry. When the pandemic really started to bite, we saw a bump in people responding to letters we'd sent many months earlier. That indicates that need is really acute out there. In fact, Benefili alone increased the number of SNAP applicants, and it's submitted on clients' behalf from 530 between January 1st and March 15, two days after the federal government declared a COVID-19 emergency to 1,429 between March 16th and May 31st, BDT figures show. That's an increase of nearly 170%. BDT's work belies the widely held, though false, notion that overwhelming numbers of Americans are out to scam public benefits programs by applying for money to snag dollars they don't deserve, Sanders said. 
Because Americans didn't claim $60 billion they were legitimately owed last year, quote, there's your proof that people are not just grabbing money off the streets, end quote, he said. So why do people fail to ask for the help they deserve? Aside from simply not knowing they're eligible for benefits, a leading reason is their sense that they don't deserve it. Quote, it's the perception that there's a finite bucket and if you drink a glass of water from it, a thirsty neighbor might not get it, Sanders said, but there's enough for anyone in need, end quote. Another factor is the difficulty of paperwork. Poverty experts have said for years that government bureaucrats deliberately make forms for SNAP and other programs hard to fill out to discourage applicants. Then there's simple pride. Deborah Jennings, 60, of Cleona, Pennsylvania, 10 miles east of Hershey, said when she received a letter from BDT saying her family was eligible for SNAP benefits, along with the Medicaid it was already getting, her husband was, quote, dead set against it, but I did it anyway, end quote. Jennings suffers from rheumatoid arthritis and has undergone surgeries for endometrial, uterine, and cervical cancers. She gets some money being a foster parent, her husband, Jay, also 60, works for a car dealership, but only part-time because he has a broken back. Quote, Jay took the idea of getting food stamps as him not taking care of his family, Jennings said. Quote, swallow your pride, I told him. Cancers and a broken back, not having enough food to eat is crazy. The food stamps are a godsend, end quote. An emotional reaction to receiving unexpected help from BDT is common, said Yvonne Sintran, a call center supervisor for the organization. Sintran and her colleagues help callers complete applications for benefits over the phone, then submit the forms to county assistance offices, which process them. Quote, people will say, please help me, please, then they're super surprised when we can. They always thank us, Sintran said. It's a weight lifted off their shoulders. It's all really sweet. From Philly Metro, the robot dolphin that could replace captive animals at theme parks one day. Darting around the pool as a group of swimmers stands in the shallow end, the dolphin looks much like those that jump through hoops and perform acrobats at theme parks. But this marine creature is a robot. Quote, when I first saw the dolphin, I thought it could be real, said a woman who swam with the remote-controlled creature. Edge Innovations, a U.S. engineering company with an animatronic and special effects division in California, designed the dolphin, which cost $26 million. It hopes that lifelike animatronics used in Hollywood movies could one day entertain crowds at theme parks, instead of wild animals held in captivity. Swimmers could dive with robotic, great white sharks, or even reptiles that filled Jurassic seas millions of years ago. Quote, there are like 3,000 dolphins currently in captivity being used to generate several billions of dollars just for dolphin experiences. And so there's obviously an appetite to love and learn about dolphins, said Edge Innovations founder and CEO Walt Conti. Quote, and so we want to use that appetite and offer kind of different ways to fall in love with the dolphin. End quote. Animatronics may bring back audiences turned off by parks using live animals, said Conti. Some 20 European countries have already banned or limited the presence of wild animals in circuses. At Edge Hayward, California headquarters, it's 550 pounds, 250 kilos. 
eight and a half foot, that's two and a half meters, animatronic dolphin with skin made from medical grade silicon headlined a program for schools in partnership with TeachKind, part of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. Edge also made the aquatic creatures used in Hollywood blockbusters Free Willy, Deep Blue Sea, and Anaconda. The idea of this pilot is really to create a kind of Sesame Street underwater, said Roger Holtzberg, creative director of Edge's animatronic program. Quote, those characters taught a generation how to feel about different kinds of aspects of humankind in ways that had never been imagined before, and that's what we dream about in this project. One American, two Russians, blast off to the International Space Station. A Russian Soyuz spacecraft carrying a U.S. astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts successfully reached the International Space Station after blasting off from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan on Wednesday. Live footage broadcast by Russia's space agency Roscosmos showed the Soyuz MS-17 spacecraft carrying NASA astronaut Kate Rubens, a microbiologist who in 2016 became the first person to sequence DNA in space, and Russian cosmonauts Sergei Ryzakov and Sergei Kudserchikov reached the space station roughly three hours after liftoff, bringing the orbital laboratory's crew size to five. The mission of the last scheduled Russian flight carrying a U.S. crew member, marking an end to a long-held dependency as the U.S. revives its own crew launch capability in an effort to drive down the cost of sending astronauts to space. Since the space shuttle program ended in 2011, NASA has relied on Russia to ferry its astronauts to the space station, an orbiting laboratory 250 miles above Earth that has housed international crews of astronauts continuously for 20 years. The U.S. Space Agency in 2014 contracted Elon Musk's SpaceX and Boeing company to build competing space capsules in an effort to reclaim NASA's launch independence. The $8 billion program enabled SpaceX's first crewed trip to the space station in May, marking the first from home soil in nearly a decade. NASA has bought additional crew seats from Russia as its public-private crew program faced delays with Rubin's $90.2 million mission being the most recent, and in July ceased negotiations to purchase more as the agency prepares to start operational missions in November using SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule. Quote, we have an incredible partnership, Rubin said in an interview from Russia's Star City before her flight. We'll continue to train crews over here, and we're going to have some cosmonauts come to the Johnson Space Center and train. NASA and Roscosmos have committed to continue the flight-sharing partnership in exchange for flying Russian astronauts on U.S. vehicles and to fly U.S. astronauts on Russian rockets when needed, a spokesperson for Roscosmos told Reuters. Quote, of course, mutual flights are of interest for ISS reliability and continuous operations, the spokesperson said. This approach, mixed crew flights, will ensure delivery of the crew to the station should a problem with the partner spacecraft occur. As we barrel toward colder months, a lifeline appears for Philly restaurants. A new grant program by DoorDash and the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association will help Philly restaurants winterize their outdoor dining spaces. 
There was a moment last week that felt so helpful, but it didn't feel real. We're not used to good news coming out of the restaurant industry these days, and in a Philly where the PPP loans helped only nominally compared to other big cities where COVID-19 cases started spiking right after indoor dining went into effect, restaurant owners and workers would be fools to feign optimism. Quote, last week, chefs and restaurateurs cheered the passage in the House of Representatives of the HEROES Act, a $2.2 trillion coronavirus Hail Mary that reinstates a weekly $600 unemployment supplement that lapsed at the end of July and also includes a $120 billion grant program earmarked for the restaurant recovery, wrote the New Yorker's food correspondent Helen Rossner in a piece about the uncertain promises of indoor dining. So owners now are forced back to the drawing board. They're left to strategize their own survival without anyone's help except for the diners whose fickle tastes and uncertain ethics make for a shaky customer base and a local government that can only do so much. Many restaurants have only made it this far without closing because the city gave them permission to take over its streets and maybe more significantly its parking spaces to open many versions of their dining rooms outdoors where it's been deemed a smaller health risk for workers and guests. Outdoor dining in some cases more than takeout and delivery is what kept so many of our independent operators in business. Sooner than we think outdoor dining won't be an option. The longer we can prolong outdoor dining in Philly, the more cushion we can build for winter's inevitable doldrums. But warm coats can only get diners through so many months before the cold becomes unbearable. Before they give up on dining out altogether, heat lamps are the last weapon left in the restaurant arsenal. Yesterday, the restaurant delivery company DoorDash announced that they, in partnership with the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association, have instituted a new program to help Philadelphia restaurants prepare for cold weather and continue to serve customers throughout the winter. The grants in Philadelphia are a part of a $2 million effort in select cities across the country to help restaurants safely continue providing services as the weather gets cold, end quote. In Philly restaurants with three or fewer locations operating currently with 50 employees and $3 million or less in annual revenue, will be able to apply for the grants that come out of a $300,000 pod at $5,000. This program isn't the first of its kind. The city of D.C., specifically its Office of Nightlife and Culture, why doesn't Philly have one of those? invested $4 million into its restaurant industry with a streetery winter-ready grant program that gives out restaurants winterization grants at $6,000 apiece. Of course, there have been rumblings online of owners dealing with the uptick in demand for heat lamps, now one of this year's hottest commodities, but the PRLA's Ben Felicia tells me in a message, I haven't heard of anyone actually having trouble, only stories anecdotally. We have companies emailing daily saying they have them. Applications for the grant will be available on Friday, October 16th on Hello Alice website. Recipients will be notified by December 31st, a date that for many owners is both too far away and just around the corner. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We'll visit more next time on Gimme Good News Radio. If you'd like to read along or find any of the articles you've heard today, visit www.gimmegoodnewsdaily.wordpress.com.